Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. You know what today is? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Yeah, it's April 8th. And I guess you should take that for granted because all the days are blending into each other. You know, you're at work now and you're at home at the same time because you're working from home. And you're in your PJs. <laughs> I guess there's still a percentage of you commuting in. Uh, Yak and I have certainly noticed the roads are wide open. Wide open. And about once a week now, we're doing a Zoom meeting with a bunch of friends from college. And they're in different towns. Uh, San Diego, L.A., San Francisco. Obviously, I'm in California. But also Dallas, Washington, D.C., Salt Lake City. And uh, we've all been talking about how traffic is way down, no matter which... You know, that's every time zone across the continental U.S. And every time zone, traffic is way, way down. But I'm not talking about Wednesday, April 8th, and losing track of time and dates and all that because you're not uh, commuting and working in the same way you normally were. No, what I'm talking about, what happened 18 years ago today. DJ and PK debuted on 12A to the Zone. And yes, we briefly went to 1320. And then the station got back and we went back to 1280. And then 97.5, the zone was added in. And yet, nonetheless, here we are 18 years later. Oh, man. Uh, did I know that DJ and PK were going to last for 18 years? No. I, thought, I honestly thought we'd be pretty good. I really did, right from the get-go. Because PK and I, killing time at uh, sporting events, had talked. You know, whether it's a practice or a game, there's there's a, a lot more hurry up and wait in the media than anyone would care to uh, admit or live through. You got to show up early because if coach ends practice a little early, then you're shut out. And that's happened. But if coach goes long, which is more likely to happen, you just end up with a lot more time to wait. Typically, you're given a time, you know, practice is going to end at 4, shoot around is going to end at 11. We advise you be there at 10.30. You, know, you can end up waiting 30, 45 minutes an hour. On weird cases, I have waited two hours to do interviews. So you get a lot of time with other media members just kill around, just standing around killing time, talking and yakking. And so having done that for a few years with PK, I thought he'd be pretty good at radio. I'd heard him fill in. But you never really know. The day-in and day-out chemistry is different than just filling in or, you know, just killing time in some room or some hallway waiting. So, you know, you never know for sure. I thought it'd be pretty good. But at no point was 2020 on my mind in 2002 when we just signed on. Had a three-year deal, had to make it work. What's the next rating book going to look like? And you get throw curve, thrown curveballs along the way. You know, Ian Furness was a program director who brought us together and... <laughs> Ian left about a year into the experiment. Ian! And then we had another program director, and then we had a third one, and then he left. So, and then we ended up jumping, and it's, you know, all kinds of things. All kinds of things go through. And you think, what's happened in sports in the last 18 years that we've seen? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, when we came together in 2002, Utah football and Utah basketball and Utah football and BYU football were both in a downtime, and the Jazz were just a little ways away from going into a a, a bad three-year stretch of their own. You know, the Stockton Malone era was coming to a close uh, as we came together. Uh, we were on the air. It was one of PK's best calls. It came early on. He said, "Today, when they clean out the lockers, John Stockton's going to retire." 
It's like, whoa. I mean, I thought he was retiring too. Heck, the fans of Sacramento thought he was retiring. They gave him a standing ovation when he left the court because they thought that was his last game. The Kings were going to win the series four games to one. The Jazz were going to be out. Stockton's deal was up, and everybody thought he'd retire. But PK was like, there won't be a month to think about it. He won't want to do another press conference. He's got to meet with the media. He's going to want to say it one time and be done with it. And sure enough, that's what happened. Sure enough. To the point he didn't even tell anybody else. Stockton did his thing and left in about three and a half minutes because he started to cry because Kathy Aiken asked him some question that, you know, caused some introspection. And, and he just loved it. You know, it was the end of an era. It was a huge chapter in his life. He was hanging it up. And he was not going to break down in, in front of the cameras. And so he just ended it and turned and disappeared around the corner in the old locker room and he was gone. And Carl Malone came out 15 minutes later and I said, yeah, John just told us he's retiring. What? John hadn't even told Carl. Holy cow. So a lot of stuff's gone down and there have been good times and bad times. Funny thing is just as the Jazz went into the dumper and had that kind of three-year rebuilding phase before they got the whole, uh, you know, uh, Williams, Boozer, O'Kerr, Kirilenko group together and healthy. It was, you know, D-Will's second year. His first year, he didn't start right away, and then Boozer got hurt, and, ah, you know, there's all kinds of craziness going on. But by the time D-Will was in his second year, it was off and running. You know, four years, and, uh, and they won four playoff series in four years. But in that three-year lull, Urban Meyer resurrected BYU football. And then Bronco came along and lifted BYU football up. And you just really get the whole cyclical nature of sports. You know, stuff happens. There are down times. Um, you know, the, obviously the economy's rough now. Unemployment's soaring. Restaurants are closed. The service sector is getting hammered. Um, now, this may end up being worse than what we saw in 2008 and 9, but we were together for that when the economy crashed and everybody was really worried and there were layoffs. And, you know, we came out of that. And it takes time and there's a cost along the way. Um, certainly, so I don't want to minimize it, but at the same time, it's not the end of everything, you know? And you think about all the other ups and downs we've seen. Utah basketball, when we launched this show, was just on an awesome run of NCAA tournaments, you know, from the time Rick Majerus got hired in 1990 through 2002. Now, they were slipping in 2002. They weren't doing Sweet 16s anymore. That, that run to the Final Four was, a obviously, the third straight Sweet 16, but then they didn't do it again until Rick was gone and Ray Giacoletti's first year in 2005. And then there's only been one since then. So, you know, 96, 97, 98, they had three in a row. But in the time PK and I have done the show, they've done two. You know, one, one per decade. Which, for the Utes, is actually down. Once in a decade, you know, this, this has been a proud program. It's been awesome. And, you know, can Larry get it back? Now, it looks like they've got some momentum going into next year. We had him on the air, and he said... Uh, and I was quizzing him. I said, you know, the non-conference run they put together was NCAA tournament worthy. They beat BYU and they beat Kentucky. And they lost to San Diego State. And they lost to somebody else, too, because they had a second non-conference loss. I think they were 9-2 in non-conference. And I'm blanking on who it was right now. But in any case, it was, um, you know, it was good enough. Or maybe it was 9-3 and because they lost the two games in the tournament back in Carolina. That was a mess. That was a bad trip. Um, but it was still, I thought it was good enough to be NCAA. And, and I thought what they did at home, you know, 7-2 and two in the conference season was good enough. But they got to figure out the conference road schedule because that, that just crushed them. 
That was, that was the end of that dream. That turned into basically a 500 team. I guess ended a game over, but you get the point. So we've just seen these teams cycle through. Uh, BYU basketball has been up and down, right? We saw the height in our 18 years. We saw the highest of highs with the, uh, with the Jimmer run. Uh, but we were also here for Steve Cleveland's 9-21 and season, which Dave Rose followed with an NIT season. But then they got a good NCAA run together. And then we've kind of seen a slow erosion in basketball from Jimmer's big year, which was the last year in the Mountain West, the first four years in the West Coast Conference, they were right on the bubble getting into the tournament. Had to play in the playing game a couple times. Once got in without having to go to Dayton. Um, they're officially not playing games, but you know what I'm talking about. And once they missed. And then the next four years, it was another step down. Now they didn't have Mountain West players. Everybody had been recruited to the West Coast Conference. And they missed the tourney four years in a row. And then we see the elevation this year. And we saw Utah State football and basketball. We've really seen the best of Utah State football. The others have cycled. And Utah State has a little bit too. But man, you break it into two nine-year groups. The first nine years we were doing radio where Aggie football was basically an afterthought. Just distant third, redheaded stepchild, poor bleep little cousin, whatever term you want to throw on it. And then between getting into the Mountain West and redoing the stadium and building new facilities, that new facility they put in the end zone was great. The new press box has been great. And it is just night and day. Utah State football, you know, anything can happen any given year. But and certainly have gone through coaching changes. Even in Matt Wells, you know, they were up and down. Uh, but just if you go big picture and go this nine years versus that nine years, ah, night and day. I, I would say if you're looking for a program that has improved, that's the best improvement made by any program in the 18 years we've been on the air is Utah State football. Not Utah State basketball because they've already been booed, but Utah State football versus Utah football, who's taking a big step forward. With the, with the Pac-12, but I, I would say Aggie football even more so. All right, we'll have a lot of retrospective stuff, a lot of looking back, plus we got a lot of what's going on today as well. We'll get to all of that coming up. We had Mike Weir, Masters champ, on the air yesterday. We have him on. I love having him on. He's got great stories, and he dropped some good stories on us in this next segment. You're going to love it. Um, about the travel in the early days, stories from the locker room, what one Masters champ says to another, how Jack Nicholas gets lured into a terrible shot, uh, how Jose Maria Alathobel. Anytime you're talking to a guy who says, so I'm playing golf with Jose Maria Alathobel, and I say to Jose, that's an awesome story right there. <laughs> when the name dropping is 100% legit. All right, Mike Weir coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined now... By the 2003 Masters champion, Mike Weir, a BYU Cougar. Mike, good morning. Morning, guys. DJ, how are you? Good. Okay. Just looked it up. We were just talking about, you know, who put the – got to remember, who put that green jacket on Mike Weir's shoulders? And whose shoulders did he put it on? You won it the year after Tiger. Tiger had actually won back-to-back. And the year before Phil. That's some pretty good right. company right there, Mike. Those were – man, those were the <laughs> days, huh? Yeah, that was nice to uh, 
to have Tiger put the jacket on me. We had a, you know, before you before you do that ceremony, you're kind of in the the backstage while the, while Jim Nance and they're getting ready to uh, to do that that TV announcement. And uh, yeah, Tiger and I had a couple of good laughs, and I was able to give him the needle a little bit. But I was finally able to kick his butt once. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously this, no, obviously not. And you know he's the defending champ. Uh, how much you miss not being back there this time of year because you've been doing this for years. And I guess maybe you get it in November, but it seems like now's the time you're supposed to go. Yeah, DK, it's it's a strange feeling, you know. All, uh, as everybody knows, it's a, everything's a little bit strange right now. But um, you know, yeah, this is kind of. And growing up in Canada, this was kind of the kickoff to our season. You know, as when I was a junior golfer, you know, watching the Masters on TV, it was kind of the start of the season up there. And um, as it kind of is here, you know, it's the, the really the start of the season, and everybody gets excited around Masters time uh, this time. So that's yeah, a strange feeling not to be going back and um, just kind of watching highlights and stuff as people kind of through social media kind of you know, kind of reminisce over certain years and certain events and um, Masters events. So, yeah, it's just strange not to be there. So I'm curious, since uh, PK mentions November, have, have you ever been back to Augusta in November? What does the course look like then? I've got this picture in my mind, but I don't know if it's going to match up. Yeah, you know, strangely enough, I've never been back in the fall. You know, um, I usually kind of go to prep for the tournament, you know, in, in late February and March. I'll, I'll try to make a trip there when I'm I'm playing an event in Florida or something. I'll, I'll make a trip up there for a couple of days to play to kind of get used to the course. But I've never been in the fall. But, you know, Augusta National, you know, they have all this, this sub-air system under the greens and some of the fairways. And um, I, you know, I... I assume that, you know, with being a hot summer, you know, that was being in the south, hot summer, but they can they can kind of control the temperatures of the conditions on the greens. And I think I think they'll probably you'll see it kind of play firm, I, I think, unless it's a really rainy, you know, time of year in November. But um, I think that time of year outside of the azaleas not being out, I think the course will still be great. And, and I expect it probably be maybe a little bit firmer than um, than April. So what are golfers doing now to keep some form of uh, conditioning and also their skills up to date? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things you can do indoors. Um, you know, you can, you can you know, luckily enough, I've got a little indoor simulator here. I can practice indoors. But, you know, there's a lot of things you can do as amateurs. You know, you can put a club across your chest and do some pivot drills. Um, you can do some putting inside. Um, you can, you know, it's it's really good to, you know, make some practice swings indoors, nice and slow, look out for uh, any light fixtures above. I've, I've done that before in college, actually hit a, hit a light right above and smash the light swinging in my, in my college apartment. But um, outside of that, you can, you know, make some nice, nice swings inside and just kind of keep loose. And um, luckily, you know, we're able to, you know, in our state, we're able to play golf right now. I um, was able to break away last night and just play nine holes by myself. I, I went out to uh, Hidden Valley with about seven clubs in my bag and just kind of a little walk around and, and played. And um, so, you know, it's uh, it's tough times. You know, everybody's uh, itching to get out there, especially this week. We see the weather starting to get a little better this week. So that's tough. 
Mike Ware, Masters champ. Uh, so we got the news that the uh, you know rescheduling the majors here, and of course everybody wants it to happen. Of course, everybody also wants to be safe. So you got to kind of juggle those two things. What do you think are the biggest, as a player, what would kind of put your mind at ease? Like these are the biggest hurdles, and they answer these questions the right way. Then I'm going to feel pretty good about playing. What What would you have to hear before you'd feel good about playing? Mm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I guess it would be, you know, that obviously that the virus is way on the decline, that uh, the airlines are declaring everything safe, you know, to travel hotels, things like that. I think once you get outside, get on the golf course, you and your caddy, you could do lots of social distancing, um, whether there's going to be fans at the events when we when we first get back. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I guess the fans would have to, you know, assess that situation that they, you know, I, I think they can still, at most events, outside of the majors, you know, you, the majors has have, have huge crowds. Some of the other PGA Tour events don't, so you can really kind of spread out as a fan. So golf is unique a little bit that way. There's there's so much room to kind of maneuver. Um, I think it'd just be the travel aspect, you know, just feeling safe to get on a plane and, and staying in a hotel. Um, and then, you know, I guess going out to a restaurant when you're when you're out at uh, when you're out at an event. Now, when I talked to you in the fall, you were talking about getting serious about the senior tour because I think next month you hit the big 5 uh, mm-hmm. How is that going? What have, what have you heard about that? Yeah, we uh, we just heard yesterday uh, they, they canceled the uh, uh, U.S. Senior Open. You know, they postponed the regular Open at Wingfoot and moved that to September. But the, uh, the Senior Open that was going to be played in Rhode Island, uh, they, they canceled that. Um, they've moved a few things around. We haven't heard a lot. Of more cancellations, I think most of May is all is done um, on the on the schedule. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a shortened schedule uh, on the Champions Tour when I when I get out there, whenever we get out there. And um, so yeah, I'm just trying to stay as, as as ready as I can without kind of overdoing it because still obviously it could be could be three or four months, could be two months. We, no one really knows. So I'm, I'm trying to stay somewhat sharp and uh, um, yet at the same time just kind of um, take care of things around here as well. So I don't know how much time you spent in front of the Golf Channel. There's a lot of master stuff running on TV, Golf Channel, ESPN, CBS this week. I think there's 18 to 20, something like that, different tournaments they're going to flashback, either edited versions or the final round. It's going to be a little different. I was watching some of the stuff because they had Monday was like Arnold Palmer Day, basically, on, on the Golf Channel. And I got to oh, admit, cool. at first, and it, it took a minute to adjust, but at first I'm kind of like, well, what am I looking at here? And then I'm like, oh, okay, I know what shot that is. You know, you get used to certain holes, certain camera shots, and recognizing mm-hmm. 16, 18, like, the, the trees were a different height, you know. I mean, the course, you know, they had they had Palmer walking off the green at one point, and then they have him as a you know sixty or seventy year old walking by. I'm like, okay, yeah, the trees did get a lot bigger. It took a minute to adjust. Have you uh, spent any time watching some of that old stuff? Um, in years past, I haven't had a chance to uh, lately. But you know, in years past, I've seen a lot of footage, and you know, there's there's still stories going around. Um, you know, in the champions' locker room, the, the story of Sam Snead telling Jack Nicklaus on the 13th hole, he's like, you know, Jack, I used to take it right over the trees on the left side and, and carry the corner and carry Ray's Creek and hit it way down there. And 
Jack apparently tried it and, and clanked it off the trees and went down. He's like, well, Jack, you know, when I hit it over there, the trees were about half that height, you know. So, yeah, the, the trees do grow over the years, and they, and they, they strategically place trees at Augusta. I was playing a practice round with Jose Maria Olathebo, um one year, and on the 18th hole, the, the second time he won, he had hit it in the left trees on 18, and he had a nice little gap, and he punched some sort of four or five iron up, and it ran up onto the front of the green. He two-putted to win, and I was playing with him. I said, Jose, show me that shot you hit. So we walked over there, and I was looking. I was like, he's like, I was right here. And I said, you don't have a shot. There's trees right here. And he's like, well, they placed those after I hit the shot from the year before. So I guess it does things like that. They see certain things happen, and they strategically, they'll place a tree here. They'll they'll just make subtle adjustments. And um, that's, you know, one some of the, the fun things they, they were able to do and adjust. And that's, I guess the special thing about Augusta being there every year is that you, you, as you said, DJ, you get to see certain shots. You remember certain shots at certain holes. Obviously, Nicholas on his great 86 win, you know, that whole back nine is just so, for me, so memorable. Every shot he hit there. So it's pretty cool to remember those things. And I'm sure they'll be showing a lot of that this week. So not being able to be back there this week when that's usually so much a part of your life this time of year, what do you miss the most? I think, uh, I think you know, mostly my family and friends that come in. We, we rent a house, and everybody gets together. My head pro from when I was a junior golfer comes and cooks for everybody all week, and we have anywhere from 15 to 30 people for dinner every night. Um, you know, the champion's dinner, that, that's, you know, obviously something very special that uh, you, know, you look forward to, to. You know, obviously Tiger would have, is hosting the dinner this year, and we'll have to wait till November to see what he's uh, serving up for dinner. So that's always a great anticipation to see what uh, the guy who won the year before is serving, and you get a chance to catch up with uh, you know the legends of the game. You know, I get to see Tom Watson and, and Ray Floyd and um, Bob Goldie, and um, you know, and, and catch up with these guys and and talk to them and see how they're doing. And you, you know, they bring their grandsons in and. You get to meet family, and so that's that's one of the little hidden treasures that people don't know a lot about is that camaraderie amongst the um, the champions there. That uh, is really I'll miss that this week for sure. You know, when you talk about the travel and it being safe, I think people are curious about how they travel. I, I read uh, uh, the book uh, Billy Casper's book and, and how they drove to mm-hmm. tournaments back in the day. And a lot of guys, private jets, you seem to be talking commercial air. Uh, yep. Would you drive across country if that were the only way to make it to the Masters? Because I'm pretty sure I would. Oh, I would. I would in a heartbeat. I mean, early in my career, my first uh, eight, nine years of my career, I lived out of my car. I drove everywhere. I had a clothes rack in the back of my car, all my clothes, all my clubs, everything was everything's in there. My life was in my car. Um, I traveled across this country, across Canada, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I've driven plenty of 24-plus-hour drives straight to get to an event, to get to the next event. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's been a long time since I've had to do that, but I would do that in a heartbeat. So we see that the majors in the U.S., they've rescheduled, and hopefully that they can come to pass and be played on those dates. But the British canceled it. Did that surprise you? It did, uh, PK. Yeah, I was surprised um, being so far out. Um, I didn't. Re- I haven't really read up on the, the rationale behind it. I know there's a lot of logistics to it, and you know, 
you can go through the list of everything that, that it takes to run a big tournament like that. But it seems odd that uh, they wouldn't, you know, that they wouldn't wait a little bit. That's, you know, literally four months out for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was definitely a bit, uh, bit surprised that they, they made the call so early. Um, but they must, they must know something that maybe we don't over, that over there. Um, but, but I was surprised. Mike Weir, Masters champ, joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So in addition, I've heard that in addition to being a golfer, you are, you are generally a sports fan. So yep. what are you missing as a sports fan the most? Is there an event, a sport, a game, anything that you're like, boy, that one thing. I hope they can rescue that one thing. Oh, man, so much. I'm a huge sports fan. Um, obviously the Jazz. Um, I'm a big hockey fan, so you know we're get we're getting into the crunch time of playoffs right now. I mean, um, the year I won the Masters, um, I think I think um, Anaheim Mighty Ducks were in the final, and a good buddy of mine, Adam Oates, was was playing for the Ducks, and they had just made it to the finals. Um, so I know this time of year, you know, you you're probably through a couple rounds of the playoffs already, and kind of getting down to the you know final four teams. So that's always exciting because playoff hockey is so intense and so fun to watch. So that's probably what I miss the most right now. I don't know how much you want to talk about it, Mike, but I understand you've got a pretty intense family issue going on right now. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a tough week. Um, you know, uh, my girlfriend's daughter, Brielle, um, had a terrible uh, skateboarding accident, uh, oh, nine days ago now. and uh, But we've, we've gotten some good news in the last... Uh, you know, 12 to 18 hours, her, her numbers on her uh, brain um, are starting to come down, which which means that hopefully if that trend continues, we'll, we'll be able to wake her out of this uh, induced state that she's in to, uh, to get her back to us and get her back uh, healing and getting getting back to, you know, rehab and, and seeing whatever whatever complications we, do, we just don't know the extent of the injury because uh, of the state she's in right now and just trying to keep her um, her brain healing um, in that state so we're seeing some good signs so we're, we're really hopeful today that that progresses and then um, then we'll we'll take the next steps from there so we've had a tremendous amount of support from the community and uh, primary children I, I just have such a near you know I know they're a great hospital but uh, new respect for what they do up there and the nurses and doctors and what they're dealing with with the virus, yet they still have other cases like Brielle um, and kids um, that, that need their help, and, man, they're, they're champions. The, the work they do is amazing. Well, Mike, best of luck there with Brielle and to, uh, to everybody who knows her. Good luck with that. Thank you. Mike Weir, Masters champ, taking a few minutes to join us here this morning. Mike, we appreciate it and hope uh, hope you get a chance to get back there in November. Yeah, yeah, so it'll be uh, it'll be great. It'll be a little bit odd to be there in the fall, but um, you know, anytime you get to go to Augusta, it'll be is is amazing. So we'll we'll look forward to that, and hopefully, we all get through this together and. We'll get uh, PK and I. will get you on the course here pretty soon, DJ. <laughs> you know, do, do some of those air swings and inside. Get your game ready, and we'll uh, we're gonna get out on the course soon. Sweet, PK. <laughs> PK. <laughs> oh yeah, he's the best getting, news I've had in a long time. He's getting better. Well, yeah, but you should have seen where he started from. 
All right. <laughs> All right, Mike, we appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, no problem, guys. There's Mike Weir, Masters champ. Love having him on the show. Uh, when we come back, Ben Anderson. Uh, ben does jazz pre-half and post-game when they're playing. Uh, we'll talk to him about that and then his own golf odyssey and what he thinks of me golfing with uh, Mike Weir. We'll get to that coming up. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by Ben Anderson. You hear him on Jazz Pre-Half and Post-Game Shows. He writes for KSL.com. He joins us now. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, I am curious. In my simple mind, I always thought there was a better chance that basketball would go to Las Vegas and hold the rest of the regular season or portions of it and then do the playoffs. I thought there was a better chance of that than baseball trying to play the whole regular season or at least a big chunk of it in the Phoenix area. And I think the two things that weighed in is, one, basketball is just a little simpler because the rosters are smaller, right? At roughly half the size, especially if baseball expands to have more pitchers so they can play more doubleheaders. And then the other thing is that Phoenix has a lot of things going for it, but, man, it's going to be really hot to play baseball there. If they're going to try and do this all the way through the summer, look out. July and August can really be hot. Not that June and September are great, but July and August can really be hot. But now it seems like baseball is a little closer to doing it than basketball is, which I think I find encouraging for basketball in the long run. Am I right on this or any part of this? Uh, I was with you. I mean, I thought basketball would be easier. A, they were already kind of mid-season, so there was a little more impetus to try and get it done. And then B, they've got this great relationship with Vegas. Not that, you know, uh, baseball doesn't have a good relationship playing in some of their different cities as the minor leagues or the preseason plays in different areas, but... I'm with you. I thought basketball would come back first, but also baseball is certainly far less of a contact sport. You know, there's less interaction. There's natural social distancing with nine guys on the field for the most part. Uh, so, so I guess in that sense, baseball's ability to come back, especially if there's not going to be any fans watching, which, you know, I mean, you look at a lot of the midday games already in baseball. There's not a ton of fans in the stands. I, I see why it's possible or why they think it, that they can get it done. So you think the analytics on the shifting now in baseball, they'll have to require the social distancings of six feet away? That could revolutionize the game. Yeah, if, if you've got to figure out a, a new double play uh, uh, rotation or a new switch, yeah, that's going to fix it for you. I don't want to see catchers quite so close to home plate. Let's drop them back about 10 feet. <laughs> or just move the batter up three or four feet. Pitchers are already throwing too hard. Batters don't want to be any closer. They need all the time they can get. Well, they move everyone back. <laughs> Give them a little bit more time. So, uh, listening to Adam Silver uh, talk about uh, how you know they want to do everything possible to get this thing to return, obviously, and he's not going to make any decisions until minimum May 1st, not necessarily committing to making decisions May 1st. But just listening to him talk, and I listened to it twice, it was about a half hour. I listened to it the first time just to hear it, second time 
to really hone in on and take some notes for it to be able to use for the show. I came away encouraged. Maybe I'm up in the night, and maybe it's just because it's wishful thinking. But my thinking is that in some form, and I don't know what or how or when, we're going to have some hoop. Yeah, I think certainly there's optimism around. Now, I know over the weekend, Brian Windhorst and a couple of reports came out saying that, you know, that there was pessimism around the league, and maybe from certain owners there is pessimism that they're going to come back. But uh, the league wants to come back. I mean, certainly they want to make some of that money back, and they want to figure out a way to do it. And I think Adam Silver is, is somebody who's a, a creative thinker and has found a way to accomplish things that not every other sports commissioner can do. So I, I think if there is a league that is going to have the ability to salvage something like this, it's Adam Silver. And, and maybe it's just one breakthrough that they need, and not a vaccine, but maybe it's just rapid testing that they've talked about even as recently as last night where – if they could test every player an hour, two hours, three hours before a game and have those results and say, hey, you can play, you're okay to, to come in, why not do that? And then why not finish the season if you feel like, hey, you can test 40 people before every game uh, and feel safe that they can play and, and, and not spread anything? You know, and I get all that, and I've certainly talked to other hosts here. I had a conversation with Hans Olsen, and he was pointing out, look at all the players in the NBA that tested positive and how they seem to go right through this disease, probably, and this has to be studied, but probably, you know, their age and their physical condition is a big part of that. But at the same time, if they're going to go to Vegas or if baseball is going to go to Phoenix, uh, what about the assistant coaches and the coaches who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s? You don't want some iconic coach with five championships like Pop having his health put at risk or worse in one of these things. And so how big a factor is all of that? Well, and one of the things I've kind of thought about a lot uh, along those lines is some of these players have underlying conditions that we have no idea about. Some of these guys probably have asthma. Some of these guys have, have different issues that – of course, they don't talk about or, or don't come out in pre-draft process, and you know, or rightfully so. That's not anyone else's business. But yeah, the, nobody's risk-free. I mean, I think that is one of the things that we've learned completely. And then certainly, if anyone has any sort of you know compromised immunity uh, of any kind, that that it makes it really dangerous. And if one NBA player were to die, one professional or uh, athlete were to die in the situation, I mean, it would just be an absolute disaster, and it would be hard for anyone to live down. I mean, I think people would understand, but certainly nobody would like it. And it would be, it, it would just, it would put everything in perspective about how silly we were to want anyone to come back. Okay. But at the same time, are we ever going to get to the point where we have a hundred percent guarantee that this illness, this virus, that disease, that virus, whatever it might be, is completely out of the question? Probably not in the next two years, you know, probably not even during next season. So, yeah. no, and I think right. that is what Adam Silver is trying to figure out is at what point is it safe? At what point, you know, is it okay to even put, you know, your basketball players on a plane again and feel confident that you're doing it and saying that, hey, this risk is, you know, any less great than it is any other disease like you're talking about. So, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be perfect, but someone's going to have to be willing to kind of, you know, fall on that sword and say, hey, we're at least going to try it. Well, I think we all do that every day, right? I mean, it's not risk-free going to the grocery store, but we're not eating out at restaurants much. Maybe you're ordering out some takeout from some places. But you see the lines at grocery stores, and, and I've actually heard health experts say that there is risk in going to grocery store. You know, gloves, masks, wiping down the cart, you know, all those things. Anything you do to minimize the risk is critical. So we all make those decisions every day. Yeah, absolutely. No question. And then the nice thing is we make those decisions for ourselves and we get to make that choice of where I'm going to go. If Adam Silver demands that his you know, athletes come back and start playing and one of them gets sick, 
it's easy to point the finger at him and for him to feel bad when there, no one's pushing him, no one's forcing him to bring the season back this year. So if he does this season and somebody does get sick or a coach gets sick or something happens, I mean, I'm sure that weighs extremely heavily on him. I think in a sense that sports, and particularly right now the NBA, because they were in the heart of their season where everybody ramps up attention if you're any form of an NBA fan because the playoffs are right around the corner, right? And they've got the stars that are so captivating. And just the fact that it's playoffs pretty much induces a lot of people to follow. Where you look at MLS and you look at uh, baseball, their seasons are just barely – would be starting right now, you know, maybe in the second month or second week, whatever it might be. So the NBA is in a different situation. So I look at the NBA as being a leader in all of this. And with that in mind, I don't want to say they owe it to us, but I think it's extremely important if they can get back. And so with that in mind, they're, do you agree that they're going to be the leader and that if they decide to come back, then we'll see others follow? Yeah, I think so. I think Adam Silver even said as much and kind of talked about it in the uh, in the conference call they had with the president, the other commissioners uh, of, of the other major sports, that he wants to be a leader and he wants to, to feel like sports can, can kind of help everyone, guide everyone back to uh, what regular life looks like or at least kind of push in that direction. But he also said he wants to make sure everyone's safe and it's it's the right time to do it. He certainly doesn't want to risk it, again, which is – Completely understandable, but but I'm with you. Basketball uh, does seem like it has that ability. The same way, you know, I think baseball probably did a little bit post 9 uh, 11 coming back. It kind of signaled that everything was okay, that we were going to be okay, that life was going to be restored. Uh, I think basketball, because it was the face of, you know, kind of the world shutting down, or at least our world in the United States shutting down, uh, I certainly think coming back uh, for basketball would be a strong indicator that, hey, things will get back to normal, even if they're played in kind of abnormal circumstances. Golf's committed itself to a calendar, and of course all commitment is relative. They get new information. They could postpone or delay again, but at least they've been willing to put something out there publicly. You want to establish any odds on their ability to follow through and actually hold those tournaments on the dates they put out there? What level of confidence do you have that that can happen? I'm pretty confident that golf can can manage and figure that out. I mean, I've gone and played golf since this happened. Uh, we, We did a segment for it, and and, you know, the golf courses are open here in Salt Lake. So I, I think that's another thing where they feel like golfers probably can go out and can probably do it safely. Again, social distancing, you can, you know, avoid certain people touching, you know, rake, obviously no players ever touching a a, a flag. So there's there's ways where I think golf is probably one of the safest sports. So in that sense, certainly probably a much higher likelihood. Do they play the entire season? Do they hit every single one of those dates? It only takes one outbreak in one city for them to say you probably shouldn't play there. And, and it's, it's easy to cancel things right now. N- nobody's twisting your arm saying, hey, you didn't play, you know, stop eight on the tour that nobody cares about. As long as you play a couple of the majors, if you could play all the majors or, you know, three of them, I think that would be enormous. So sometime this golf season, Mike Weir wants to get me and DJ out on the golf course. Do you think DJ will have the stones to follow through? Absolutely. No, I really don't. I mean, well, you, you don't think he'll go out and play? I, I had to play on TV. I've never swung on. Uh, I've never played in front of anybody, and that was mortifying. So yes, playing in front of a, a professional like that, who's who's as good as he's been, uh, I, I understand the fear there. But you you can live up to it. You do radio. You, you're on TV all the time. I think you can uh, you can figure that out. 
Yeah, you baby. Yeah, I'd like to be playing bogey golf before I go out with a Masters champ. Okay, I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy. Come on, I did. I've played with Mike. You're good. I mean, you you'll say you aren't, but you if you shoot eighty, something went wrong. I Ben, I really want to get DJ out there, and I'm going to film it. I, well, but see, the thing is, here's the thing: is it's twist and pull. Here's Ben. I really. I really want to golf with the Masters champ. I mean, you look at, like, he wins the Masters. The two years before he wins the Masters, you know who won? Tiger and Tiger. The three years after, it was Phil, Tiger, and Phil. You know, if you're going to take home a Masters champion in a six-year stretch, that's a pretty good six-year stretch. And honestly, take one home anytime. I don't even care. Just one Masters champion. I don't care. But especially then when Tiger and Phil are on top of their games and you take home a Masters. So yeah, there's a part of me that desperately wants to play with him. And there's a part of me that desperately doesn't want to shoot a 128 while I'm playing with him. Yeah, I mean, I would shoot 80 on the front nine. So, I'm not, you know, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Exactly. See, I, I'm not sure happen. it is because there's a there's a part of Mike that really wants this to happen. You can hear it in his voice. So I don't know if it is once in a lifetime. <laughs> well, okay. How, For his own well entertainment, I think game. he wants to see this. You said you want to be playing bogey golf. How close are you and how long will it take you to get there? How close am I, PK? And how long will it take me to get there? You've seen me play multiple times. Could I be doing uh, it well, within a year? Within a year, I could be playing bogey golf, couldn't I? If you dedicated yourself, I think it could happen. Now, maybe it would have to be from the Whites, but that's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually, in all sincerity, I've seen you make significant improvement, which is actually common. You have athletic ability. That's not, that's not the question. And I've actually seen people who've made a commitment to the game, and the commitment obviously is playing the game. That's, you know, that's the way you make a commitment. I suppose you can study it, swings, and read up on it on YouTube and all that, but that can get in your head at some point. So in the last year, two years ago, casually playing to committing to playing more this past season, I've seen a significant improvement. The awful shot, the awful hole is more of the rarity. You know, the great hole still hasn't come consistently, so you're sort of in between. I wouldn't put you at bogey now, but I'd put you like at bogey and a half. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably that's if, probably out where I am. If you have a you know, let's say a thirty six handicap, you should go play. I know that's an enormous number. But <laughs> that's double play. bogey golf. I can play double bogey golf. I can definitely you should do that. Go play then. You should go play. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely at the point now where I make I, if I make a double bogey, I, I I am, in the words of PK, I am pissed. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had a double bogey. Period. Maybe like nibbly hole nine if I got it over the water on the first time. Maybe I got it in in five. <laughs> really? Because I watched the segment you're talking about. I, I saw that. And so I think I think it's a case of if you played, you would get to where I am pretty quickly if you just played. I'm I mean, sure when, if I wanted to, you know, work when you're it, when you when your partner in crime is standing on the hill saying "hit it over my head," he's got a certain amount of confidence in you. Well, confidence is an interesting word. To and use you did. Tom, you, put, but... <laughs> you put an easy swing on it. You got it up in the air, and you knocked it over the hill, and you knocked it over him, and it was fine. Yeah, uh, you, you know, pe- people. You can improve your game, but if you're if you have an opportunity to play there, I mean, I, here, let me say this, DJ. If I could go play with Mike Weir right now, I would go play. 
Okay, so you, me, PK, and Mike Weir. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck is right now. Yuck doesn't get mad, but he's mad right now. Hey, hey, how am I not in on this? I'm definitely under bogey golf right now. I'm so. the one who dials Mike Weir's phone number. <laughs> hey, Ben Anderson has some athletic ability. Don't forget, he was the one who deed me up on that hook shot that I had to win the whole, oh, the whole yeah. thing. When you tried to go he left could, and you tried to go right, and he took them both away. Yeah. Lateral quickness, Ben. You've got it. Yeah. He still hit the shot, so I couldn't be that good. Hey, all you can do is force a guy into a low-percentage shot. You don't control whether the low-percentage shot goes in or not. He was he a lockdown defender. <laughs> so what have you done with yourself when, since the last time we talked with you? What have you done with yourself, the sports perspective? What have you learned about the Jazz, the NBA, you've been digging into the numbers, watching film, breaking it down. You just put it up on a shelf and just let it go away because it's just too frustrating. No, I, I mean, certainly you need to keep writing, and I've enjoyed doing that. And, and you know, there's, there's an opportunity to be a little bit more creative and, and kind of dive into, you know, some evergreen content that'll, that'll stick around that isn't necessarily, you know, time-consuming, which is nice. It's fun to do. It's fun to go back and actually uh, take a look at, at what's happened so far this season, kind of re-examine the games and, I'm never a sky is falling person. Uh, certainly, when it comes to the world of sports, I mean, there's there's certain uh, safety nets for for every league to make sure that you know if you're bad, you get a draft pick, and if you're good, you go to the playoffs. And it's hard to make the playoffs and hard to be good. So, uh, I think the Jazz were were in a good spot, and we're going to be fine this year. And I, I know there was some some hand wringing over the the play of Mike Conley or the fit of Mike Conley, and. I think going back and looking at where he is and where he finished the season, if you're a Jazz fan, there's no reason not to feel confident that whether they come back this year or, or come back next year, that you know this is kind of a two-year experiment and I think it's going to work out. But uh, I think it's been fun to, to take a step back and look at the season and look at the NBA and realize, you know, kind, kind of give a, a, a deeper appreciation for what it was or what it is every year because when you take it away, you do start to miss these things. But uh, it's kind of been an interesting uh, opportunity to, to look at it from 30,000 feet and, and kind of take in a little bit more uh, of the storylines as opposed to just kind of the day-to-day grind, which is easy to get lost in. Well, Ben, we appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll let you know uh, how the uh, the Mike Weir experiment goes. Just let me know when we're uh, what our tea time is. <laughs> okay, thanks, Ben. <laughs> See ya. There's Ben Anderson. Can't wait to hear him back on jazz pre-half and post-game shows. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines coming up. Stay with us.